Diary of a Fly Flit Mommy. Grandma, no gimmicks. <laughs> Welcome to the Diary of a Fly Fit Mommy podcast, your judge-free zone on motherhood, where I share my motherhood journey and extend open arms to those moms who may be suffering from depression. I am your host, Jennifer Christian. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in today to Diary of a Fly Fit Mommy. I'm super excited to have my guest today on the show, and his name is Charles Johnson. He is located in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's an advocate for maternal health. Hi, Charles. How are you today? Hey, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing good, trying to make the best out of this rainy day here in Detroit. Oh, yeah, it is. It is soupy here in Atlanta, too. Um, so first and foremost, I'm so excited for this conversation and I want to thank you for having me on and just first and foremost, just really want to thank you for everything that you're doing on behalf of mothers and families. So it is, uh, it's an honor to share, uh, my story and Cure's story with your audience. And I look forward to working with you going forward to, um, continue this fight. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to have you here as well. I have followed your story on, I've seen the story on television, I've seen it all over social media, and I'm just very excited to be able to speak more about For Kira for Moms with you today. So, I'm familiar, but I'm not sure if those that are listening would be familiar, so could you just kind of explain who you are and how we end up here today? Sure, 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 sure. So, um, I am... Uh, many things, but most importantly, importantly, I am the uh, father to two amazing, amazing boys, Charles Johnson the fifth and Langston Emil Johnson. Um, but the best thing I ever did was uh, marry the most amazing person I ever met, and that was my wife, uh, Kira Dixon Johnson. So when we talk about Kira, and literally, I'm going to do my best in the interest of time, and I know that you've probably heard me speak a, a couple of times and seen things that I share on social media. But I really can't brag about my wife all day. We're talking about a woman that, honestly, Jennifer, she was far better than I ever deserved, and she made me far better than I thought I could be, right? So we're talking about a woman that seriously like challenged me to be a better man in every aspect of my life. We're talking about a woman that ran marathons, who spoke five languages fluently, who um, had her pilot's license and... Um, you know, anything, everything she put her mind to, she accomplished and accomplished with, you know, just an amazing, amazing, not only did she accomplish it, but she crushed it, right? Um, you know, with just this amazing grace and just flyness and everything that she did, right? So, you know, Kira and I um, met in around 2003 and um, I was young and, you know, not really in a place where I was really ready for a family. And then she ended up moving out of the country. Um, actually, I mean, we met probably in 2005. And she actually moved to China and lived in China for about five years, I'm sorry, three and a half years, where she ended up um, actually opening English second language schools and teaching Chinese kids how to speak English. Wow. Um, and then she moved back to the United States, and then that's when we reconnected. Um, and from that point, we were, you know, almost inseparable. So, um I always, interestingly enough, I always wanted to be a dad, right? I, that's more than anything. I always wanted to be a father and um, was so excited. You know, we got uh, pregnant. We expected our first son, Charles. Um, we blessed with our first son, Charles. Welcome my first son, Charles, uh, in September of 2014. And uh, exceptionally healthy um, baby boy. And we'll kind of come back to that. And I know there's some other questions you want to get into about birth and delivery and certain decisions, but, um, amazing gift. And we always wanted Jennifer back to back boys. And so we were overjoyed when we found out that we were expecting our second son Langston in April, 2016. We had recently relocated to Los Angeles. We're both Atlanta natives and we had located, relocated to Los Angeles, uh, take on this kind of new adventure and this new chapter in our lives. And during that transition, researching the various hospitals and, and places to deliver, 
Cedar Sinai, even living in Atlanta, their reputation was supposed to be the best. And as a father, and, and you know, as, as a, you want the best for your family. So we decided that we wanted to um, deliver at Cedar Sinai Medical. And the painful irony of this is. Um, we really thought so highly about the reputation of Cedar Sinai, and it really ended up being the worst decision I've ever made. So, um, Kira had an exceptional pregnancy, um, went through all of her prenatal visits with flying colors. My first son, Langs, I'm sorry, Charles had been born by an emergency C section. He had a situation where every time she was having a contraction, his heart rate would continue to drop, and so they ended up having to do. Uh, an emergency C-section for him. We had planned to um, do, you know, traditional uh, childbirth, uh, vaginal birth, um, but things didn't go as planned as traditional. So as, as, as sometimes things happen. So moving forward, the doctor that we had found in Los Angeles um, really, really suggested that we do a second C-section. Um, and we really were like, okay, we, you know, it's the doctor's suggestion and we went along with it. So we walked into Cedar sinai on April 12th of 2016 for what was supposed to be a routine scheduled C-section. And very important, Jennifer, it's important for you and your listeners to understand that when we talk about cure, we're talking about a woman that wasn't just in good health. We're talking about a woman that was in exceptional health at the time, right? Um, no complications during the pregnancy, and with a baby that was, um, they were expecting to be exceptionally healthy. So we went in for the procedure around 2 o'clock that afternoon, um, who was supposed to be the happiest day of our lives, and walked right into a nightmare. Feel free if you need to stop me for any questions or clarification, if, you, if there's things in this, as I go through this sequence of events that you need me to clarify. But so shortly after the procedure, Langston was born, you know, perfectly healthy, and they took us back to the recovery after the cesarean. And I just remember sitting there. I know you've heard me probably tell this story a couple of times before. But I remember just sitting there. And so I'm sitting in the room and Langston is in what I call the toaster, the incubator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kira is um, in the bed recovering and she's kind of taking a nap. And as I'm sitting there just basking in all this pride and glory of being a new father for the second time as I'm just sitting there just soaking this all in. This is my dream, right, Jennifer? Like, I have this, this our family's complete. We have this second boy. Um, it's just, it, I just, I, even just thinking about that moment before things went left, I just, I have a smile on my face right. because it was so beautiful. Um, and as I'm sitting there by Kira's bedside, I look down and I see the, um, the Foley going into her catheter bag begin to turn pink with blood. Wow. Um, and so I brought it to the attention of the doctors and nurses at Cedar Sinai. And um, you know, they came in and I was concerned, but then they, you know, they came in and they examined her. And keep in mind, so this is right around four o'clock. And I don't know if I shared it with you, but I'll be happy to share with you a, a more precise timeline because I'm going to go through this in, in a very condensed fashion. Um, for the interest of time, but I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the literal medical record so you can see this series of neglect. I'm just going to share with you just a condensed version. So keep in mind, this is around, this is at shortly, this is after 4 o'clock. This is right now, let's say 4.45, right? So they come in, they say, look, okay, um, we're going to do a series of things. We're going to take some blood work. We're going to run some tests. We're going to do several things, including in uh, a CT scan that we're ordering stat. Now keep in mind, this is around, uh, this is before five o'clock. Okay. I'm concerned, but my wife is healthy. My baby is healthy. And we're at Cedar Sinai medical. This is going to be cool. It's going to work out. Um, the blood work comes back. It's showing some abnormal, some, some abnormal, some abnormal, uh, abnormal piece. Um, you know, she's beginning to lose color. She's sensitive to the touch. And so there's some very clear signs very early on that she's she's hemorrhaging significantly internally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 6 o'clock comes. There's still no CT scan, right? Um, they come in. They do an ultrasound. They can see in her abdomen that it's beginning to fill with, with blood, with fluid. Um, but still no CT scan. 6 o'clock comes. 
seven o'clock comes. Um, by this time, she's beginning to shiver uncontrollably, right? Because she's losing so much blood and no CT scan. I'm saying, hey, where's the scan? You guys ordered, I thought this was supposed to be ordered stat. Like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Seven o'clock comes, eight o'clock comes, no CT scan. And now they're saying, oh, we just need to give her some fluids. Um, you know what I'm saying, but where's the CT scan? Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Nine o'clock comes, no CT scan. They do more blood work. It's coming back even worse than it was before. They do another ultrasound, even more blood in her abdomen. And the doctor comes in and he says, yeah, you know, we'll just see. We'll just wait and see. Sometimes these things resolve themselves. What? Right. Nine o'clock comes and I'm saying, hey, look, where's the CT scan? This was ordered stat hours ago, at which point the staff at Cedarside Medical Center tells me, sir, your wife just isn't a priority right now. Oh, my gosh. Your wife just isn't a priority right now. Nine o'clock comes, they say, you know, 930, Bristol, Tennessee, hey, look, we need to give her a blood transfusion. I'm saying blood transfusion. Y'all don't even know what she's bleeding from. Y'all don't even know what's going on. You didn't take her for the stand. What's going on? They said, well, we just need to get a blood transfusion to keep her stable. And I'm saying stable? Just a second ago, she wasn't a priority. Now you're talking about you got to keep her stable? And I'm begging, I'm pleading them, I'm pleading for them to do something. Somebody help her. And every, and at no point did anybody, did the doctor, the staff, sense of urgency raise. So just for the interest of time, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock comes, 11 o'clock, still no CT scan. Kira has been sitting there hemorrhaging since just after two o'clock 11 o'clock 12 o'clock comes it wasn't until after midnight that they finally took cura back for surgery after hours almost 10 hours of me begging pleading for them to do something and it's also important to paint this picture for you jennifer and your audiences this just wasn't me a concerned father and husband they're advocating for cura I was there. My mother was there. Her mother was there. Her brother was there. Her aunt, who's a retired nurse, was there. Her cousin, and we're all begging, pleading, do something, right? Do something. So this isn't a case where this is a single mother up there all alone on the maternity ward. This is somebody who was surrounded by love and people who cared about her, begging and pleading, and it wasn't enough to get these people to see her as valuable. It wasn't until after midnight, Jennifer, they finally took, gave the order to take Kira back for surgery. As they're wheeling her down the hall, and Kira's holding my hand. And keep in mind, she's conscious through this whole thing. She got a chance to breastfeed. Um, and as we're walking down that hall to the OR, and I'm holding Kira's hand, I'm walking next to the bed. I'm forgive me because I get emotional. Many times I've told this story, it's still, it's still difficult because it puts me right back in that room um, and right back in that hallway. And I'm holding Kira's hands in her fur. I'm walking by the bed and she's telling me, baby, I'm scared. And I'm doing my best to keep it together and stay calm. And the doctor says to me, he says, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to go back into the same incision I made earlier for the cesarean. I'll find out what's wrong. I'll fix it. She'll be back in 15 minutes, what he told me. And that was the last time I saw Kira alive. When they took Kira back into the OR for surgery, they opened her up, Jennifer, and there were three and a half liters of blood in her abdomen. And her heart stopped immediately. And they worked on her, worked on her, but there was nothing they could do to save her. So when we talk about this, you know, like a lot of people, Jennifer, I was ignorant of the fact that this is, I thought that Kira was an anomaly. Um, but Kira, none of this should have happened. Kira deserved better. Right, like, um, and the reality of the situation, and that's why I'm just so grateful for you uh, using your platform to share this, is that Kira's not alone, is that it's not just Kira. There are women all over this country, unfortunately, disproportionately African-American women, that are suffering similar fate. And women deserve better. Um, you know, my boys deserve better families deserve better and so that's what we're committed to and like i said when, when you reached out um you and i have never spoke before but anytime somebody reaches out and is willing to share this um this story and 
to shed a light on what's going on, I am more than willing to share in hopes that other fathers won't have to have these conversations with their children. So I know I've talked a lot, now, but uh, that, that, that's who I am, and that's why we're here. Um, there's nothing I can do to bring Kira back, but I am committed, and we are committed to doing everything that we can to send other mothers home with their babies. Well, I definitely appreciate you for just being so passionate about this and being able to speak out on your experience and try to help come to some sort of resolve. Um, I want to go back a little bit. I know you mentioned that when you guys decided on Cedar sinai and your doctor that he suggested to have uh, another C-section. So did he ever consider her to have a vaginal delivery? He he did not. It was a, it was kind of a there wasn't I, in all fairness there was not what I would consider um, pressure to have a cesarean, Jennifer. But it was like, hey, look, you've had one before. Um, I would recommend and I would suggest that we do it again, okay. right? Um, I would highly suggest it. Um, that's my thought. And once again, when you're in a situation where you're trusting that the doctor is giving you the advice that's in the best interest of of your family. Yeah. And that's what we did. And it's yeah. funny that you say that because a lot of times we assume that the doctor is going to know what's the best situation. Um, we believe everything they pretty much say when it comes to our health and our bodies. And that's not always sometimes the 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 route we should go, I'll say. Um, Did you ever get an explanation as to why it took so long for them to attend to her? No. No, I did not. Um, And that's one of the things that we hope to get clarity on um, with this investigation and with, um, you know, as we move forward, um, we hope to get clarity on that. But I want to say, I want to say, I want to make this point too. Is I completely agree that um, about the issue of there being um, certain risks or complications associated with the C-section. But the reality of the situation is this: is that we talk about Kira's situation, the way that this was described to us by the medical experts that have reviewed the facts of Kira's case, is that this was not a medical tragedy, this was a medical catastrophe, right? Meaning that everything that could have gone wrong, in fact, did. Um, so even with her hemorrhage from cesarean, post-cesarean, things happen, right? right. Women hemorrhage. It was, the, it was the totality of the hemorrhage along with the fact that they just didn't take action. Completely right? neglected. So, this is, it completely, it, it was that, you know, with the neglect. It wasn't the cesarean or the complications of the cesarean that ultimately led. It was the totality of the lack of care and the lack of attendance, right? She should have never passed away from this. And I'll put this in perspective. I don't share this often, too, but I'll share this with you and your listeners is that, um, and this is going to be a little bit shocking, but I'm going to share it anyway, is that when we got the medical records along with the autopsy. Um, What we found out and what I've learned as I've done all this research and I just kind of live in this space is that we talk about a healthy woman who's having a cesarean section where the woman is not in distress, the baby's not in distress, the typical cut time, meaning the time from they make the first incision to the time that they cut through the layers of the skin into the uterus and remove the baby should be between 12 to 15 minutes. Okay. In the event that a woman has had a previous cesarean, like Kira did, you should add an additional, you know, five minutes to cut around the scar tissue and do the same procedure. So you're talking about 15 minutes, give or take, okay, for a a healthy baby where the mother is not in distress is the cut time it should be, right? When we got the medical records back, do you want to take a guess? Do you have any idea what the cut time was on delivery of my son? 
I can't. I can't even guess. Feel free to take a guess. Feel free. You get you get one guess. It's free. Cut time. Let's see. Twenty five minutes. Okay. Final answer. Yeah. Let's go twenty five minutes. Okay. The cut time and delivery of my son was less than two minutes. Oh, wow. So less I would have thought it would have took long, longer instead of no. shorter. He rushed it. And he butchered it. Wow. Wow. Less than two minutes. And in the process, he cut her bladder. And that's where she was bleeding from. For almost 10 hours while they let her condition deteriorate. We've been told by the experts that she should have been back in surgery with all the signs were shown, with the things that were apparent to the medical staff, with the way the blood work came back, with those ultrasounds, with the signs that she was showing. She should have been back in surgery no later than 6 o'clock. And she'd be here. She'd be here with her son. She would have been trick-or-treating last night. But they just let her sit there as we begged and pleaded and as her condition deteriorated. And she didn't go back to surgery until after midnight. I'm kind of like at a loss for words. It's, it's disgusting. So if you all have not been tuning in to what's going on in the world, we are in a crisis right now, and we meaning black women that are currently birthing babies. Um, in an interview that Charles actually did with CBS News, um, Dr. Neil Shaw was also interviewed in the same package, and he stated, if you're a, wom- a woman of color in this country, especially if you're black, your odds of dying in childbirth are three to four times higher on average. And this is in the United States happening right here. I've had an incident in the hospital. I was pregnant with twins and I couldn't breathe. Uh, You know how you feel like you have a cold and your lungs are like, just not working, not working how they like. should, right? Mm-hmm. I so, yeah. I went to the ER. This was uh, Christmas, right before Christmas in 2015. So, I went to the ER because that's what you do. And they told me an emergency because I was so far along, I needed to go to the maternity ward. And so, I did. And I get there and I was never seen by a doctor. The nurse comes and says, it's pretty much nothing we can do for you because you're pregnant. You can't have an x-ray because you're pregnant. And, you know, that's just pretty much it. And I was sent home with a antibiotic. So maybe about two weeks later, on Christmas Day, I decided to go to urgent care. Same same issue. I get to urgent care, and the doctor says, what took you so long to come in? Your lungs are full with fluid. And, like, I have pneumonia. So, um, yeah, he gave me, you know, all the proper medication that I needed to actually get rid of it. But that situation could have took a wrong turn had I not went in to get seen a second time. I don't know about other people, but when I go to the hospital for anything, I have always felt like I wasn't believable or I didn't matter or they just really don't care. You know, this is just their job and this is what they do and they see people all day and nothing's really major. I didn't really realize this was actually a thing until stories like yours came out where you're just completely being neglected or like Dr. Neal said, not believable, we don't believe them that much. 
that this is how we were being treated um, in the care of the people that are supposed to help us. It's, um, you know, I just, it's, it's so much. And there's so many layers to this, um, you know, lack of empathy. Um, but I just want to take a step back for a moment and uh, just address the comment that uh, Dr. Neil Shaw made. And I have to say, um, just full transparency, uh, Neil is a, I consider him a good friend. Um, I have the utmost respect for him. And I think that the comments that he made, particularly around women of color and how they're viewed um, by doctors in his own profession, it was essentially brave for him to make those comments. And I've told him that publicly, I've told him that privately. Um, some of you all who are aware of the issue may have seen the comment or the kind of the meme that's been floating around with him making the comment that they chopped it up a little bit and they're pretty much saying, we believe black women less and kind of repurposing the quote and making it sensationalized. Um, but, you know, Neil is a, you know, Neil is a warrior and he has been unapologetic in his stance um, and his determination that women deserve better. And I especially appreciate how directly he has confronted the issues of race and implicit bias as it pertains to this subject and topic. Um, you know, Neil, Neil, Neil is a, is a, is a, is an ally. I say, like I told my, my friends from uh, Black Mamas Matter, Neil is definitely invited to the cookout. And for those of y'all who um, are familiar with him, he is a, um, he is the head of um, obstetrics and psychology at, actually at Harvard and is a young Indian brother. Um, so for him to speak out on behalf of not only all families, but particularly African-American women, um, so directly and unapologetically is, um, is something that I, I, I'm sure going to be grateful for. Yeah, that was very, very brave of him. I actually wasn't expecting him, of all people, I guess, to really speak out on it. Yeah, so, yeah he was a great guy. How do you find the strength to pretty much move forward in telling your story as painful as it may be? <sighs> if I really knew, and this is honestly, I, you know, I, one thing about me, um, I know that you're a little bit familiar, but I try and be as transparent as I, as I can. And I, you know, I could give you some cliche answer about what it is and how I do it. But honestly, God, I just don't know. And the realest thing about this is I can't take credit for any of this. This is really God and Kira working this out in magnificent ways that are far beyond my comprehension. Because I don't understand everything, but what I do understand is that myself alone, I'm not strong enough to do this. And if it was just me, I'd probably be someplace in a category right now. Um, but you know, I for almost a year, um, I was so angry and I was in so much pain um, because I felt like somebody had, you know, had killed my wife and there was nothing I could do about it, right? Like, and as a man, as a man, like your fundamental duty is to protect your family, right? And you know, I felt like I'd let my family down. I felt like I'd let my wife down. I felt like it was my job to protect her and she was taken from us. Um, and I knew that I had to do something. Like, I didn't know what, but I knew I had to do something. And um, I knew that because of, you know, relationships that I had and resources that I had, um, that I was somewhat uniquely situated to make an impact. And so, you know, after our prayer, I decided that I was going to go public with Kira's story in hopes that by sharing Kira's story, um, I would be able to prevent this from happening to other families. And so I made the decision to um, share Kira's story the Friday before Mother's Day last year, not this Mother's Day, but last year. Um, so probably almost, I guess, 18 months ago. And, um, 
you know, I didn't know what to expect. Jennifer, I honestly think it's somewhere in the back of my mind. Um, I might do a couple of interviews and I would go back to being a soccer dad in obscurity and raising my kids and doing the best I could to, you know, fill in the pieces. But God and Kira really had other plans and, um, her story just went viral and it took off and it resonated and, you know, people were shocked and appalled and, um, we've been extremely blessed that the story has been shared on really everything from Dr. Oz to People Magazine to CBS Sunday Morning, um, to the USA Today. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. I lit- I mean, literally all over the world, like I did an interview a, a couple of months ago with Swiss TV. And, you know, <laughs> they had this interview in subtitles. And, you know, Telemundo, and they, they, they literally... Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I don't tell about that. I messed up. I said all the time. It was Unity Jones did it, and they broadcast it. They said a curious story in 35 countries, right? And it's just, um, you know, Kira, when she was here in the physical, never ceased to amaze me. And with who she was and the way that she impacted everybody that she came in contact with, and it's just the same thing um, now that she's transitioned. Like, the way that Kira's story resonates, the way that people reach out, and the way that she's continuing to impact people's lives, I'm just in awe of her. I really am. And um, I just do the best I can to be a good vessel, um, to be a champion for women who like be a, you know, a good steward, um, and do the best I can whenever I can share her story. No, it's wrong. It's okay. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. So let's jump into um, let's jump into the status of the uh, HR one three eight Preventing Maternal Death Act of two thousand seventeen. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yes, absolutely. That point. So HR thirteen eighteen, and it's contained in the Senate SB eleven twelve. I would like to make note of that are as a piece of legislation, as you said, you're going to be maternal gas tax 2017. This is going to be, and we are claiming this, that this is going to be the first in a series of very, very, very important legislation on the federal level that will protect mothers and babies. What this bill essentially will do um, is a couple of things. It will give the CDC... Um, Funding in conjunction with states to establish what are called MRC, maternal and MRC, so maternal mortality review committee. So essentially, what this will do is this will give funding to each state to go in and investigate the deaths around every single woman woman that is dying in childbirth. Okay, and so in order to address the epidemic, first we have to understand the data, what's happening um, with these women. Um, and we're also going to be not only investigating women that are dying shortly after childbirth, but we're, we're looking at maternal mortality um, as far as a year out post delivery. Okay, okay. Um, and so then we'll be able to use that data, these very important data, as we understand how to fix this problem. There's also going to be additional funding in the bill that will uh, help with additional training. Okay, so right now um, we are close to. I haven't seen the latest total. But I think we are closing in on 150 co-sponsors um, in the House, and there's a substantial number in the Senate. So we um, just got back from D.C. Uh, last month having a congressional hearing um, where I shared your story on Capitol Hill. Um, so we are hoping um, that this is going to get passed at the end of the year with this Congress. So as far as what people can do, you can actually go to 4CARA, so it's the number 4, K-I-R-A, the number 4, mom. So 4CARA4moms.com, and if you click on Take Action, you can actually, we have this really cool portal that's set up, and what you can do is if you put in your zip code, um, if you put in your zip code, it will automatically get this, it will automatically draft a letter for you to 
your local congressional representative, as well as both senators. All you have to do is put in your zip code and your name, and it's going to do it for you. So everybody that's listening, that is one very important action step you should do, and it will send a letter to them um, asking them to um, support this legislation. So that's going to be a very important step, and if everybody would do that, that would be phenomenal. You can also feel free if you want to do it the old school way, if you want to call them, write letters, anything. If you want to tweet them, if that's your, if that's your cup of tea, do it. Tell them to support HR 1318, and if you have your senator, ask them to support SB 1112. And I hope to be able to come back on the show um, before the end of the year and share some good news and celebrate. Hopefully so. So real quick, mm-hmm. let's talk about the blanket change for March of Dimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Blanket Change, Project Blanket Change, I'm extremely, extremely proud to be partnering with the March of Dimes on an initiative that we're calling Project Blanket Change. Um, and it's actually kind of this this brilliant um, concept that was developed by uh, my dear friend Stacy Stewart, who is the president of the March of Dimes and Blanket Change around the iconic receiving blanket, you know, that one, and you've got, you've got a bunch of babies. So I know, you I know, do. About this, I like, know the uh, old that, school. That, that, <laughs> that pink and blue receiving blanket that right. you know, almost every baby in our country is born with They hand the mothers to them. So, um, but we also, and we're using that as kind of our symbol and what we're simply saying to Congress and to people around this country is that there are 700 women each year that die from preventable causes related to childbirth. In addition, and it was interesting, and I think that you, I don't know how you self-identify, but you may fall into this category of women that have near misses, meaning women that had severe injuries or severe life-threatening complications yet survive. I'm talking about 50,000 women who almost die annually from childbirth. In addition, the United States, as you mentioned, is the most dangerous place to give birth in the civilized world. We've got to do better. And so what we're asking people to do is to um, share their concern, express their concern. You can go to my page, which is for Care for Moms. You can go to um, March of Bond, and there's a lot of collateral. And there's also a toolkit. And what we're asking people to do is, as you're going into this election season, this is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democratic issue. This is not a conservative issue, Jennifer. This is not a liberal issue. This is a human rights issue. This is an issue. The issue of women dying in childbirth in this country is an issue that is uniquely bipartisan. Okay, which is the one of the things that I'm proud to say about this bill is that it has bipartisan support, and we're very proud of that. Um, but it's important, it's critically important that as we go to the polls next week, we support candidates, we support candidates that have, that are in support of mothers and babies. Definitely. Um, and are, are committed to making America safer. Um, because if you're not, if you're on the outskirts and you're not really sure if you can support this legislation, then my thing is we have no problem replacing, replacing with somebody who can. It's that simple. Um you know, and I, you know, I'm going to quote, you know, the famous urban philosopher Nino Brown. Either you can get down, or you can lay down. It's that <laughs> simple. Either you can, either, it's straight up. Either you can, you can support mothers and babies. You can support this legislation. You can be committed to making America safer, or you can find another job. Straight up, and that's how we're approaching this. And so, it's important to understand your your um, congressman and your senator's voting record. You can go to the same. Website, you can go, you can look up the bill if you just Google SB 1112 or HR 1380. You can see if your local congressional representative is one of the people that's supporting them. If not, they owe you an explanation for why they haven't. Why haven't you supported this bill? They owe you an explanation. Um, so that's how we're approaching this. Um, we've had phenomenal feedback, um, but we need people to get out and vote and hold people accountable. Um, that's why I do every chance I get. When I go to Capitol Hill, I don't ask people to support this bill. I tell them, I say, look, when I go in these senators' offices, when I go in these congressmen and women's offices, I look them in the eye and I tell them my story. And I say, look, I'm not here asking. 
I'm respectfully demanding your support. When can I expect you to sign on to this bill? Yeah, definitely. And if not, you need to stay up. <laughs> That's how we do it. Right. Um, we should yeah. definitely be demanding the support. Um, I mean, we moms. I mean, we deserve we deserve more than Mom, what they're offering us right now. Straight up, straight up, we deserve better. So we deserve better. And here's the deal: if you're not, there's two types of people in this country, Jennifer. Either you're a mama or you got one. Right. That's it. And and just for my listeners, I just want you guys to just understand how big of a deal this actually is because right now young women in the United States of America in 2018 have a higher risk of dying during pregnancy or delivery than our own mothers did. And that's deep. Exactly. So now that we've got the March of Dimes at HR. 1318 and your strength and your backstory out the way. How are you and how are the babies? Um, as far as these, these, these little guys, they are amazing, right? They are um, just have all the best um, parts of their mom. And um, all things considered, Jennifer, thank you for, sorry, thank you for asking. But all things considered, um, they are doing remarkably well. Um, that being said, it is still um, the most difficult thing that um, we've ever faced as a family. I think that um, there is, it's still very difficult. Um, a lot of uh, things are bittersweet birthdays, um, holidays, um, benchmark things like first day of school. Um, you know, my son asked me, was mommy coming to school? Because he knows Kira had a background in the future, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, does mommy, if we have soccer games, it'll be questions like, does well, mommy like soccer? I want her to come to my soccer game. Why can't she come to my game? And as they get older, they're four and two years old now. And as they get older, their concept of mommy and the fact that she's not coming home, um, it evolves, right? Um, and, you know, my approach has always been that um, the topic of Kira is never off limits. It's never taboo. We talk about Kira. Kira is very much present in everything we do. If you walk into my house right now, there are huge poster-sized prints of Kira everywhere. Um, and, you know, we do our best to celebrate her and tell funny stories. And when we go places, um, we listen to music and we sing songs. Um, you know, my son would ask, do mommy like this song? Does mommy like this? I mean, did mommy like to eat here? Did you go here with mommy? Um, but it's tough. It's tough, particularly as they get, have a have a better understanding of other family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's challenging. Um, and you know, that, that's my thing is that, um, that, that thing, something, and those are pieces that we'll work to put back together for the rest of our lives. Um, but it's so important to me that, and I'm so clear that the highest honor that I can pay here is to make sure I do everything I can to make sure that I send other mothers home with the baby and to make sure that other fathers and loved ones don't have to have these conversations. And that other little um, people's hearts don't ache the way that my boy's heart ache, right? So, yeah. I'm on one with all these long answers. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. You're perfectly fine. How is your support system? I'm very fortunate. I have an amazing, um, you know, team, you know, drink team of us. Uh, of family and extended family that is sexually supportive. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging for everybody because Kira had such a profound impact on everybody that she came in touch with. Um, but, 
you know, it's like I said, I'm very fortunate to have uh, the type of support um, from people that I have. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Let me just say that I absolutely love the way you speak of her. I mean, it's just <laughs> so beautiful, <laughs> you know. Uh, thank you um, so much. Thank you paint you. a picture as she's someone that uh, us that don't know her would have loved to have an encounter with. So. Yeah. Have you... Um, no, please go ahead. So now... Um, have you experienced any type of depression since everything has happened? I know uh, some people are not used to hearing dads actually going through postpartum depression, but it happens. So have you had any experiences with that and or just depression overall? You know what? I, I think that I would not consider myself depressed. Um, I definitely, I definitely have my moments. I definitely have my days. Um, but I think for me, like I say, Jennifer, like my kids, my boys truly are the blessing. Um, because the reality of the situation is, and, and this may not be the healthiest thing and the healthiest answer, but the reality of the situation is there wasn't an option for me. Right? right? Like literally, instantly, instantly, I became responsible for these two precious, precious gifts that depend on me. Right? And um, that's what I've done, whether it's the healthiest thing or not, is I poured myself into two things, poured myself into these boys and poured myself into this work. Um, and the two on top of everything else, you know, trying to be entrepreneur, trying to be a dad, trying to balance these, keep me exceptionally busy. Um, and for instance, I'll just give you a frame of reference. I have an, I have a friend um, whose husband actually passed the same day Kira passed. Oh my. Um, in a car wreck in Johannesburg. They were living in South Africa at the time. Um, and she is having an exceptionally hard time and not to say that I'm not, but one of the things I'm through about a solitude is the enemy, and they don't have any children. And she was an expat. She was living there. He was from there. And so she's there by herself, right, and mm-hmm. came home. And But she's, you know, she's single, and so she doesn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm so grateful for it because they're so cool, and they're so much fun, and they remind me of, of her light, right? Her cure's light literally permeates and radiates from these magnificent two little people, right? All the time. Um, and it's weird, it's weird, and it's I, like, I, 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 you know, I know people believe different things, but literally she is omnipresent. Like, her presence is constantly here. Like, I don't, um, you know, like I, I told, I told, and, and it was kind of looking at me today, I had the interview with NBC, and I thought, but honestly, I feel like I still co-parent with Kira, because we were so clear, and we talked so much about what we wanted, what type of life we wanted to give our son, the type of young men that we wanted to raise them to be. And so that's kind of my approach to everyday, Jennifer. It's like, as difficult as it is, it's a simple approach. It's wake up, make mommy proud, repeat. That's it. That's it. So how can people help? I know you've mentioned your website and Mm -hmm. going on your website to uh, help. What about um, just reaching out to you at all? How can we connect? Sure, 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 sure. So, you know, please, um, you know, you know, it's if, you know, I talk about these kids all the time and, um, Kira, you know, social media is a great way to connect, and um, so grateful for your support through social media. And you know, as a test, I I share a lot. I share a lot about our lives. I share a lot of videos. I'm trying to um, share things that are positive. I never want people to 
hear this and feel sorry for us or bad for us. I want people actually, honestly, when they hear Kira's story and they hear about what's going on, the two things be informed and be empowered. Um, and maybe somewhere along the way be inspired, right? Um, so, you know, feel free to reach out um, through social media. There's going to be a lot of, lot of, um, one in 2019, I, I plan to be able to share through the website, through our platform, more resources because we focused really this year on raising the awareness, but now really bringing in place confidence of resources and solutions for families that, are, that have been through similar things but also helping to make people aware and give them, make them empowered with tools that can help them to feel more confident and to avoid some more things, right? So partnering with some organizations, and I have some really exciting things we're going to roll out here in the next couple of months, um, but please support the legislation um, and just, you know, be informed, be empowered, speak Kira's name, right? Speak Kira's name, talk to your friends, talk to your family, not to scare them, but to empower them so that they're aware because everybody has somebody that is expecting a family. And when you speak Kieran's name, um, you know, when you go into these appointments, ask them if they know Kieran's story. And like, you know, I, I shared on CBS and then ask them what they're planning to do and what they're prepared to do to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen to you. Um, you know, and make them aware that you were aware and that you are an informed, empowered patient, that you are, in, if, you're, if you're not delivering, if you're the advocate, make them aware that you are a, an informed, empowered partner, an informed, empowered, an informed, empowered grandparent, an informed, empowered, whoever you are, um, that this person, that they're responsible for their care, that they are precious and they are important and they are special to you, Right? And, um, you know, I really, my hope is that, you know, that when our parents, I'm sorry, when our children, um, it's time for them to have kids, that all of this will be a thing of the past. Pray to God. So we have got to make some serious change around here. Absolutely. So your social media is at for Kira for moms right? Yeah. Is that on Instagram and Twitter? Yes, uh -huh. All, it's uh, the number four, Kira, the number four mom. So four Kira, four moms on all social media. And um, that's also the website, uh, fourkira4moms.com. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of my podcast today. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Uh, listen, I am honored to participate. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you once again for the work that you do and, and just utilizing, um, you know, your platform to to help make this uh, help you know bring about change we're grateful no problem thank you guys for tuning in today don't forget to follow me on social media at flyfitmommy also if you or someone you may know finding it hard to cope with depression I want to encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional as always thanks for tuning in to Diary of a Fly Fit Mommy Peace out.